Navy Federal is proud to serve more than 8 million members, including active duty military, the DOD, veterans, and their families. You'll receive a lifetime of membership benefits with Navy Federal, and you can easily access accounts, transfer money, pay bills, and deposit checks with the Navy Federal mobile app. Visit NavyFederal.org MLB for more information. Call 1-888-842-6328 or download the Navy Federal Credit Union app. Message and data rates may apply. Whether you're a general contractor, flooring specialist, or renovation expert, you want to get your job done quickly with the right product and at the right price. With more than a million square feet of in-stock tile, wood, and stone under one roof, floor and decor has the options a pro wants at everyday low prices. Plus, they have the tools and services you need to save you time and money. Visit flooranddecor.com to find the location nearest you. Hello and welcome to The Ringer MLB Show. My name is Michael Bauman and I'm a staff writer at The Ringer. Uh, Let's get things started with Zach Cram and some unhappy topics. All right, we start things off with Zach Cram. I realized that like I always end the intro by saying you're coming on and then start this segment by saying you're coming on. So maybe I should just be like, surprise, guess who it is? Hello, I would, uh, before we get into the good stuff, just like to start by issuing a thank you to Hansel Robles, who... uh, Struck out two batters in a stellar save uh, appearance on Sunday to push me past producer Bobby by a grand total of one strikeout into the Ringer Fantasy Baseball Championship. Bobby already peeved that the Mets lost Robles on waivers last year just before he got good. Now has all the more reason to despise this Angels closer. So I just want to start out by thanking him and, uh, you know, just mentioning that as Bobby then can later edit these words into really anything he wants. This is Bobby, a, I was going to ask if you care to respond, but clearly you do. This is a bridge too far, honestly. So when listeners get to this podcast and they hear just just Mike talking to no one and it's just silence on the other end, they'll know why. I, I will say I do also feel a measure of complicity in this because the first two years we've had this fantasy baseball league, I've snuck into the playoffs and upset Zach as the number one seed. Uh, and uh, my team was dog shit this year. Uh, so I was unable to perform that service for you, Bobby. So I apologize. There's nothing people like more than hearing three dudes talking about their fantasy baseball leagues. That's not public. We've done this this like less than 60 seconds. Okay. <laughs> Honestly, that's also less depressing than the topic we're about to talk about. So, Well, it's a perfect segue because I lost, due in large part because I lost Christian Yelich, Justin Turner. And uh, I don't even remember who the last person was. So that's where we are. Yeah, well, that is sort of a symptom of we're going to talk about uh, season-ending injuries, and there have been so many they're hard to keep track of. So, Zach, what do you what do you have for us on this topic? Basically, the sheer number of impactful season-ending season-ending injuries we've seen over the last week, just since we talked last time uh, last Tuesday, has been kind of overwhelming as. I guess there are a couple different sorts of injuries to think about. There's the injury to a player we really like watching, but which doesn't affect the playoff race. Like Mike Trout and Shohei Otani are both out for the season, which basically renders Angels games unwatchable the rest of the way. But Angels games weren't really going to be the key drawing point over the last couple weeks of the season anyway. But then there's the other kind of injury, which directly affects the playoffs. Christian Yelich is out for the season. Javi Baez is out for the season. Anthony Rizzo isn't out for the season, but he'll be out for at least uh, a week, I think the report was, after hurting his ankle over the weekend. So really, like there aren't that many playoff races to watch right now. It's down to the wild card, the NL Central, and the NL wild card race. And we're having injuries directly removing some of the most fun players from those teams. And it it kind of sucks as we enter the last stretch run. Yeah, I should say, I believe Javi Baez is out for the rest of the regular season, but they're not ruling out a return uh, to, okay. uh, sometime later in October, uh, which, you know, this being the Cubs, that might functionally be the same thing. Um, but yeah, so that didn't happen. Uh, that happened before our last show, because I talked a little bit with Sahadov about it last week. But yeah, the Rizzo thing happened uh, over the weekend. And like, every time... I have this thing with ankle injuries where every time I see a video of it, it looks like my first reaction is, oh, my God, they're going to need to amputate the foot. And it always turns out to be 
uh, oh, it's a it's a sprain, and he'll be back in two weeks. Um, I don't. It, it's like just this way with a- ankle injuries, where it just always looks so much worse than uh, than it actually ends up being. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Uh, so I was kind of surprised that the diagnosis was as relatively mild as it ended up being. The issue is there's just not that much time in the season left. So even though you know they don't have to like cut the leg off, the fact that Rizzo is even missing a week or two at this point functionally means the Cubs need to completely adjust their lineup as they're fighting for a playoff spot. And I think this is where we get into like, you know how there's that saying that in March Madness, the basketball tournament, people like watching upsets for the first couple rounds, but then they really want to watch the favorites battle in the final four. And I don't know. That's a really pithy saying, Zach. Yeah, I don't know how I really, how fully I subscribe to that belief, but it is kind of cool to see players like Nico Horner, who you talked about last week, uh, step up and make an impression in his first major league appearance. He's hitting 364 as we talk on Tuesday morning and helping the Cubs win some games. But there is, I think, a, a functional difference between watching Nico Horner and Ian Happ try to fill in for these star players and just watching Baez and Yelich and Rizzo battle uh, for a playoff spot. That actually, it sort of steers into the one like semi trolly take like I'm not sure how much I believe this but I'm going to say it anyway that this is actually not the worst time to lose your star player because the difference between Javi Baez and Nico Horner like on an at bat to at bat basis is almost imperceptible that the difference between the two of them is going to be played out over the course of 162 games in which case it is vast you know even as as uh you know Intending no disrespect to to Nico Horner, who you know seems like a perfectly fine major league shortstop, but you're you're going to notice that over six months. But even in this, like on on one level, like obviously you want to go to war with your best lineup uh, when the games matter most. Uh, and certainly, if if Horner comes up in a, a key situation in like the wild card game, for instance, the Cubs will probably wish they had Javi Baez. But you know he's not substantially less likely to get a hit in that situation if you just take that one at bat like maybe it's a difference of of like five percent and so like it's almost a a matter of i think we know better than to say the playoffs are a crapshoot you know as glibly as we did a couple uh years ago but i think there's still so much randomness that if particularly if you're a team like the cubs that has quality players to either insert into the lineup or move around. And this is different for say Christian Yelich and the Brewers. Cause he is so much of that offense. Like I, you know, I, I say that I, and of course they're going to come back and make the playoffs now just because of that. But like, I almost feel like you can deal without your star player for, for even a couple weeks and not miss that much, particularly if it's a position player. Yeah. I think I, when I, was saying that I was conceiving of it more as an entertainment proposition as opposed to oh, a strict well, you should team know valuation. By now, baseball is not an entertainment proposition. It's, a, it's an opportunity for arbitrage. But uh, you're right. Like even going by a framework like WAR, like if a superstar player is worth six wins for over a season, over the course of two weeks, that's half a win. And over a replacement player, and maybe they could slump. There's certainly no saying that bias would perform better than Horner over such a short span. But I think there is an entertainment perspective here that's worth considering because these games are just under a spotlight more like over the course of the summer months when I'm watching any given couple of baseball games every night, I'm just flicking back and forth. I have like the game changer tool, which allows me to pick players. I just want to see their at bats from. And now you combine those players and put them in a race where I would be watching those games anyway, because they just matter more for the rest of the season and, and the standings that like, I was really excited to watch Yelich try and do what he did last season in last September as the Brewers pushed to win the division, he hit 370, 508, 804. And looking at those numbers, I'm honestly shocked that his on-base percentage was only 500 because it felt like he was reaching base four times a game. I'm surprised that number isn't like 800 looking at it now. And Yelich was starting off this September hot as well, and that matters to the team, but that also matters from 
the perspective of people watching Brewers games, even if they're not Brewers fans, it's just fun to watch a sport where baseball players cannot typically single-handedly do anything for their team like a LeBron James can in basketball, but trying, but, but seeing players come the closest they can and try to do that is part of the fun of September, I think. Yeah, well, I would say as a counterpoint to that, and I, I certainly don't think you're wrong, um, but I I also wonder if absent something like the great individual performance like Yelich down the stretch uh, last year or uh, Madison Bumgarner 2014 or Corey Kluber and Andrew Miller in 2016, like absent a truly transcendent individual performance, I wonder if there's sort of like it's sort of like the Friday news dump idea that there's a fixed amount of column inches that a newspaper can print in a day. And like, there's a fixed amount of excitement uh, that a neutral fan can have over, um, over a postseason. And insofar as that changes, it changes so much more on team outcomes than, uh, than individual outcomes. Like it doesn't, I think it matters less whether we have um, uh, Javi Baez or Nico Horner in the lineup, then whether the Cubs, you know, force a, a five-game division series or a seven-game NLCS or something like that. And, you know, the as far as the individual games, you know, as long as the individual games and series are dramatic, heroes will reveal themselves somehow. And so as much as we like the established star coming out and pulling, you know, assessments down the stretch in 2015 or, or Manny Ramirez in 2008, um, we also like to see the unsung hero pop up, you know, the, the David Eckstein. So, you know, not to invoke the ultimate cliche, but you know, that's exciting in its own way as well, particularly if it's a young player who's just getting his first taste of major league action. So, you know, I think, and you know, just look, look back to that incredibly fun Brewers run last year. Once you got into the postseason, Yelich is not the, is not the player I really remember. Like you remember Brandon Woodruff, you remember Yulis Chassin. Like he's, you know, Yelich is not the uh, the guy I remember really defining that postseason run uh, for the Brewers once they got into the playoffs. So if you're looking at, for, at at it from that perspective, I think you know we will we will find heroes and narratives. There's certainly some merit to that. Like even as we end the 2010s decade, the biggest postseason heroes of the decade are probably Madison Bumgarner, who we might have expected as an ace pitcher, and then like David Fries, who nobody probably expected to become one of the most valuable World Series contributors of all time. The I think the d- distinction there is between what you're saying is like heroes will emerge, but that's not necessarily you don't go into a postseason series necessarily expecting any of those things to happen. So I think that's a difference between anticipation and then reaction. If that makes sense, like we are going yeah, to react by finding yeah. heroes anyway, but we can't necessarily anticipate that excitement like we can when Yelich is involved or even like a lower tier player like Byron Buxton, who the the twins are going to make the playoffs and Buxton has been quite good this year. Not the superstar people expected, but I think his rise, especially on offense, has kind of been overlooked because the twins entire offense has just been so good. But Buxton, in his one playoff experience before this year, had to leave the 2017 wildcard game early because in the process of making a great catch, he slammed into the wall and hurt himself. And now the Twins are going to go back to the playoffs, but Buxton won't be there. And I think it just little things like that and the bigger things like with Yelich, it just I know I will still enjoy the playoffs and the stretch run as much as I ever would. But it removes a little bit of that anticipatory excitement that I think matters at the margins. I, I think that's a fair point. I'm certainly not trying to minimize the the impact of these uh, these injuries. And, you know, like you, I think it's worth going back to the the Trout-Otani injuries that you can just like write off the Angels now. Um, that, that there are teams that like you, you know, we might have gone in and, and gone out of our way to watch meaningless games uh, just because the players are so exciting. I, you know, I can hardly think of a better way to to sum up Angels baseball of the 2010s, generally, in fact. Um, but, you know, taking those those players out certainly makes a, a huge impact there. You know, even something like, you know, Mookie Betts being on the on the shelf uh, a little bit uh, over the past week for the Red Sox, a team that's much closer to the playoff race. Um, and Betts is, you know, certainly far less severely injured than Mike Trout, who has to get his foot frozen off or something. Um I don't I don't know how much we'll miss those individual um those individual matchups because you know maybe we'll just wind up focusing on other things. You know, 
there there will still be well probably there will still probably be Acuna versus Kershaw or something like that or or Aaron Judge versus Justin Verlander um you know pick your pick your great pitcher pitcher matchup or pitcher batter matchup you know there I think this is a a nice thing frankly about having so many great stars like it's not just Bonds and Griffey you know anymore or and were Bonds and Griffey and Frank Thomas that there are 30 of these guys and you know 12 of them are making the playoffs and nine of them are still healthy and so it, you could you could sort of take your pick the trout injury i think is of a different sort because yeah there's no reason to watch angels baseball over the next two weeks but really like if the cubs are playing the cardinals are you really going to switch to an angels game probably not it matters for trout because as i mentioned on the podcast i don't know maybe a month ago at this point i have been watching his rise up some all-time leaderboards as he's still in his 20s. And this is now the third year in a row where he's going to miss significant time because of injury. And whether that continues and persists over the rest of his career or not, like just these three seasons alone probably cost him somewhere in the range of 30 home runs. And I don't know how many hits, but when Trout continues his career and rises as high up these historical leaderboards as we might expect, that could make a difference between like challenging a home run record or not or reaching 700 home runs or not and it's probably far too early to think about that but it is just like how great trout has hit this year like he's not going to end up leading the league in home runs uh jorge soler is tied with him right now and will certainly hit at least one the rest of the way does that matter for trout's legacy probably not but in a sport that values career numbers as much as baseball does especially at the high end i think these little things, these two weeks missed here, this month missed there, do eventually stack up. Well, I think Trout gets a little bit of a slack because in every one of those seasons where you said he missed significant time, he's still qualified for the batting title every time. You know, he still had at least 30 home runs um, and and ended up atop a bunch of, of leaderboards. Um, where I'm like, I'm not like worried about him. I, I think, Trout is the best baseball player I've ever seen top to bottom, and he's got another 10 years or he's got essentially until he gets bored to uh, to sort of cement that legacy. That's a great but way to put it to that point. I don't know if he'll he doesn't seem like the the type to bore of baseball, but I guess uh, he could he could surprise us. But that'll probably be a long time down the road anyway. Um, this is just another this is going to feel like another. Uh, it's going to give AL MVP voters enough of a an, a an excuse not to vote for him. And he's into that, like, Barry Bonds-type territory, that Mickey Mantle-type territory where he's just obviously the best player in the league um, or at, the, at worst on a season-by-season basis, like in a dead heat for best player in the league. And somebody's going to come along who's close enough to let the narrative case overpower it. And I think, you know, Alex Bregman feels like the most obvious example this year, but if it's not him, it'll, it'll probably be somebody else. So, you know, that the fact that, that trout could ease, you know, when I wrote about Justin Verlander, um, a couple weeks ago, like I said, Verlander's got one Cy Young right now. He's, if you would like run all those, those votes again, he'd probably, it would probably be more likely that he'd have four than that. He'd only have one. Um, and Trout's sort of on that, that path with MVP awards where he's got two, like he could have five right now. He could have five going on six. And I, I wonder if, if he'll end up being slightly underrated just because he's going to end up losing like the narrative coin flip to Josh Donaldson one year to Miguel Cabrera another year to Betts one year to, you know, maybe Bregman or, or whoever else this year. Yeah. You know, so that's in terms of like Mike Trout's legacy, which again, I'm is very low on the list of things that, that I worry about in baseball. Uh, that's that's probably where I'm at. As much as I would have liked to see him take home his first home run t- uh, home run title this year. Earlier in this conversation, you talked about the perspective, for instance, Acuna versus Kershaw matchup in the playoffs. And the exact opposite of the excitement I feel for Acuna versus Kershaw in the playoffs is the excitement I feel for another Mike Trout MVP debate. Just, I can't imagine another Mike Trout conversation I would rather have less than whether he deserves to win MVP on like a losing team again and I, it will happen but 
hopefully we can figure out a way to make it a more minimal part of the conversation. Like, yeah. debate Verlander versus Cole for the Cy Young instead, because I think that is much more of a novel and fun debate. Weirdly, I think we are sort of collectively getting bored with that debate because we've had it, you know, we've had it on like exactly these parameters three or four times already. So if we know that that Trout is not going to win MVP, we know how it happens and it's happening the exact same way again this season. So I, I think that even like the inexhaustible sports media take drome is is a little bored with it. So he's I, also I the last thing I'll say about that is Trout is so dominant that it feels like he's almost transcended MVP. Like you don't need another like MVP to cement Trout's legacy. Like you might for a lesser player, someone like Barry Bonds. Yes, he won all of his MVPs, but you don't need to look at his run from 2001 to 2004 and summarize it by saying he won the MVP that many years in a row. You can just look at his numbers and think back on his dominance. And that's kind of, where Trout is for basically this entire You could decade. just say, what was it? Was it 362, 609, 812? Was that 609? The, the exactly. That's a much more significant number than four MVPs in a row. Shout out the the South Jersey area code. Um, all right. You got anything else? We're, we're running short on time. That's what I got. Hopefully no more injuries in the next week. <sighs> you know, you're telling me. All right, Zach Cram, stay safe. Don't get injured yourself. Until next time. Hiring is challenging, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. A place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. And that place is ZipRecruiter.com slash RingerMLB. ZipRecruiter sends your job to more than 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And now my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash RingerMLB. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash R-I-N-G-E-R-M-L-B. ZipRecruiter.com slash RingerMLB. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. The best part about kicking back to watch the game is enjoying a spread of your favorite treats. Take your game day treats to the next level with the new M&M's Hazelnut Spread Chocolate Candies, guaranteed to deliver a delicious combo of hazelnut spread and milk chocolate in every bite-sized piece. M&M's Hazelnut Spread is going where no hazelnut spread has ever gone before, right inside M&M's Chocolate Candies. If you love M&M's Chocolate Candies and you love hazelnut spread, just wait until you try these together for the first time. They've added a delicious hazelnut spread to the center of smooth M&M's milk chocolate and crunchy candy shell. Enjoy them on their own or use them to dress up your favorite treats. Just imagine them baked into cookies or sprinkled on top of your go-to ice cream flavor. And what I like about the hazelnut flavor is it's such a great complement to chocolate. It doesn't completely change the nature of the candy. It's still sweet and rich, but it's more complex. So if that sounds good to you, go hazelnutty and try the new M&M's Hazelnut Spread Chocolate Candies today. Right, so we are getting down to crunch time uh, in the Major League Baseball season, and uh, that can only mean one. Well, that can only mean one thing. But uh, in this case, it means that I'm welcoming back to the show Fangraph staff writer Jay Jaffe. Jay, welcome back. Hey, thanks. Good to be back. So uh, we are here to talk about one of the things that is a large part of your personal brand, uh, and hmm. that is not replying to the multitude of idiots uh, here on uh, this our president's internet, but in fact, uh, team entropy is what we're we're going to talk about today. So why don't you explain that to people who are not familiar with the concept? Okay, team entropy is something I started this in 2011, back when I was at Baseball Prospectus. It's basically uh, it, it is rooting for chaos uh, when you've given up uh, uh, the need to uh, to root for an individual team uh, because that team is out of the hunt or because you are uh, now saddled with. Uh, uh, prof- expectations professional ob- objectivity um you can root for chaos in the form of extra baseball uh tiebreakers play in games uh scheduling nightmares you know this is this is uh the, all kinds of uh uh chaos that, that that can happen at the end of the season some of which we're not even sure that major league baseball has an official solution on the books for um they have published tiebreakers on how to uh untangle uh various scenarios involving as many as four teams but uh uh, the forbidden fruit of the fifth team uh, remains uh, theoretical, and and smarter minds than my own, than my own 
uh, have tried to figure out how uh, uh, how you could possibly solve this, um, particularly with a, with a time component of, involved, because uh, uh, the division series would be put on hold, uh, you know, to to uh, to settle these tiebreakers if it involved the wild card. Yeah, it's a, I I didn't realize you had started this like specifically in 2011 because that was a key. Even though, ironically enough, there were no tiebreaker games that year. That was like as big a year for Team Entropy as I can remember. There, there were down to the there's down to the wire in the National League and the American League. In the in the, in the uh, NL, it was the uh, uh, the Cardinals overcoming uh, a lead against the Braves for for the for the lone wild card spot, um, and in the AL. Uh, it involved the Rays uh, catching up with the Red Sox. Um, lots of uh, uh, lots of drama uh, right up to the final day of the season, uh, final night of the season, and, and uh, uh, really unforgettable. And, and uh, um, you know, I was I was writing on an almost daily basis about the about these races, and when I when I coined the phrase, and uh, uh, it's just been something that uh, uh, you know, Major League Baseball tried to capitalize on on that that excitement by. You know, introducing the wild card game the next year, um, and uh, you know we've had a, a lot of exciting uh, close calls uh, with uh, you know with with uh, with uh, playoff spots being decided at the end of the season uh, every year. Going back to two thousand four uh, through two thousand sixteen, there had been been at least one uh, playoff spot at stake uh, on the final day of the season. Uh, the two thousand seventeen season, uh, unfortunately, did not have one of those. Uh, but 2018, we ended up uh, getting two play-in games, uh, which was unprecedented, uh, uh, both involving uh, the distinction between division winner and uh, wild card winner. So it was a banner year. Yeah, and that's that makes the 2018 season kind of unusual. I believe that was the first time that there had ever been two yeah. one-game tiebreakers in the in the same season. Yes. But but weirdly, the losers of both of those games went to the playoffs anyway. And which, you know, is it's unique to baseball in that there are no, you know, no point differential or, you know, no record against common opponents or whatever. It is something that that I kind of like that in baseball, you always play it uh, down to the wire. You know, it's it's uh, it it definitely created like a literally unique situation last season, but sort of a, I don't know, a, a strange atmosphere, something that. That, you know, even observing it, I was unsure what to make of it. What it what it did was, you know, when you think about it, what it did was put was put two teams uh, in a situation where one of them really could spare only one more loss, you know, or like or couldn't spare another loss, basically, you know, at, at the end of that. And the Cubs, who uh, you know, as recently as 2016, were the champions, and you know, had been expected, uh, uh, you know, in 2017 and 18 to. To, to further that as as perhaps uh, you know some kind of dynasty, uh, you know, uh, instead produced diminishing returns and and uh, um, you know went from being oh you know we're going we're you know we're going to be uh, uh, easily in the in you know in the division series to wow our season is over and uh, the, you know before the first week of October here and uh, uh, now there are all kinds of questions about which direction this organization goes and uh, uh, didn't expect to be here so you know kind of admire the um, nasty brutish and short uh, timeline that occurs from that but you know at the same time this is admittedly this is kind of making uh uh making the most out of uh an imperfect situation i think you know critics of of the current playoff format will say that uh we've gone from focusing on you know maybe the top four teams uh as things go down to the wire to really the the focus on the distinction between uh the fifth and sixth best team or the fourth fifth and sixth best teams uh in in each league um you know to to get those those number four and five seeds basically for the wild card game and that you know maybe i i could see why people would be uncomfortable with that let's let's just say that yeah so let's uh let's go back into this season in particular, because you invoked the Cubs who have been sort of all over the place. Like your last, I believe, full team entropy report came on Friday. Uh, and since right. then, the I would say the Phillies and Mets have sort of fallen out of the the uh, wild card race, probably the same with the Diamondbacks. And so yep. like the, the looming specter of the five team tie is not uh, as real as it, as it was maybe a couple weeks ago. But you look at the... Uh, the winning streaks the Cubs and the Brewers are on. They've closed the gap to Washington. Um, 
St. Louis has has failed to distance itself as the top of the at the top of the National League Central. So what we have here now is essentially a four team race for two spots that is a lot closer than it was a couple of days ago. Yeah, the odds for the, the odds for things like um, a, uh, a a flat out two way tie uh, in you know for the second wild card spot have actually risen over the last few days, even as the total number of teams uh, that are in play for this, as you said. Uh, is 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 falling, and likewise for that uh, uh, the top central spot, uh, uh, the odds uh, are 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 rising. We're um, fan, at Fangraphs on our playoff odds page. You know, everybody looks at just the the main odds, uh, but there is a, a on the toolbar there under playoff odds views. There's a thing called ties, and you click over and you can see uh, that we have uh, a 19.2 percent chance of a tie for the second wild card spot in the National League. And sixteen point three percent for the uh, uh, for the American League, and a thirteen point nine percent chance for um, uh, a tie atop the Central. Uh, and we've got uh, somewhere about a, around one to one and a half percent uh, uh, for ties for three way ties uh, for the first AL wild card spot, the second NL wild card spot, uh, and the NL Central. So, and there's even a point one percent chance of a four way tie. Uh, for the second wild card spot in the, in the National League, so that's all kind of exciting. Uh, you know, when you see even the even the smallest chances, and, and uh, uh, you know, it's it, it's fun to dream upon that because uh, uh, once in a while, those uh, you know, even those uh, uh, single digit odds do pay off. Yeah, you think about you know situation. And somebody, I sorry, I forget who put it this way, but uh, there at one point last week there was like a three percent chance of a of a three or four way tie um, yep. for the National League wild card, and they said, "Well, the the odds of a hit batter in any major right. league batter about half yes. that." It, yeah, and uh, I don't think it was you who said that, but it might have been. No, it was some, somebody who yeah. said it to me. It was, yeah. uh, it was somebody who re- who replied to me, I believe, in in connection with that uh, uh, with with that Friday installment, um, and uh, I thought that was uh, uh, a a pretty interesting response because it you know. It, we we all you know we all watch enough baseball that we know yeah you see those once in a while it's not yeah, it uh, happens it's not it's not like a triple play you know it's not like something mm-hmm. so so obscure that you're that you're going home and telling people about it uh, you know which is like yeah it happens yeah uh, and, and it, so yes this could happen yeah and all of this one thing that I find uh, interesting about like the the ability to to really talk about this in terms of, of probabilities is it's just another. You know, it's it's another uh, form of discourse or, an, or or analysis that like requires both the writer and the reader to to think in terms of probabilities. Like, I think about the without this is just the the most glaringly obvious example. So I apologize for invoking it, hmm. but uh, like the last presidential election, where you know the five thirty eight right. odds said that that Hillary Clinton had an eighty five percent chance of winning or whatever, and and it was treated like a a major failure of polling. And you know you could say what we will about the discourse around that, but like oh you know that's what like a one in six chance, like right. things that have a one in six chance of happening happen all the you know. Not you know but we see enough we see enough of them yeah it's i mean it's there there are there are um you know percent there there are differences in perception and and there's a certain um you know uh mathematical illiteracy that that uh, uh and a very you know very human uh you know very human reasons uh why uh we fail to really understand this stuff um you know, on a certain level and, and entire books have been written about it. Um, it. It is kind of fascinating and I don't get, to, I don't touch on that too much, but you're right. Um, it is something that we talk, you know, obviously yeah. we're talking about probabilities all the time. Yeah, And we're indulging so. and yeah. we're indulging in a lot of, you know, we're indulging in, in a lot of speculation and flights of fancy and uh, uh, you know, it beats uh, uh, you know, it, it beats the, the, you know, the daily grind of, uh, uh, wondering why Joey Votto is falling apart, or um, you know, or whether uh, Jacob Degrom or Max Scherzer or Hyunjin Ryu is going to win the Cy Young, it breaks things up. It's a it's a nice little sidelight uh, uh, that you really you know it's kind of like uh, uh, you know a, a seasonal special you know where 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 hey look hey it's heirloom tomato season we get to enjoy this particular uh, you know tasty treat here uh, at this time of year. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a great way to put it because this is. 
it, you know, it, this sort of comes with the, and the fact that, that you frame it in, well, what are the odds of a five-way tie, you know, makes it like sort of obvious that this is like, like you said, sort of a fantastic or and whimsical way of, of dealing with, with playoff odds where, which are, you know, on the, the micro level, not that precise um, that, you know, right. they, they sort of, they're sort they're an interesting way to frame things rather than something you want to trust down to the decimal point. Um, but you know, it's, it's a fun way to like, you know, it's, you look at, would you say like an 11% chance of a, a tie for, for one of the wild cards? Um, I think we're, we're, no, we're, we're above that. We're like, uh, like 19, 19. Yeah. So like the, yeah, the 19 for the second, for the second NL wild card spot. I mean, that's almost one in five. Yeah. Right. So like, that's not something that like I'm making plans or, you know, booking hotel rooms or anything like that. But like, that's something that has a very real possibility. It's something you got to plan for. And you go down to like the three way tie. Like that's not something, you know, I'm not by contrast, I'm not making plans for that. And I'm not planning for that, but it's something that could very reasonably happen. And so it's, it's just fun, you know, putting numbers on, on all this stuff, even with the, and like because this is this is just for fun, like a fun way to to track um, the probability of of some of these things happening. Um, you know, the numbers don't have to be you know completely bulletproof to to be useful or entertaining. Right. So. Right. Yeah. We have talked a lot about the the National League specifically. Um, the American League Wild Card. So, like the division races are are all but sewn up. Like I think, yeah, I don't know if we, if anybody's clinched yet, but we're getting there. Um, The the Dodgers, the Dodgers have clinched. Well, the Dodgers uh, are Braves. Yeah. Or the the Dodgers, the Dodgers are the only ones that have clinched. We've got, I think, did the Braves clinch? I don't think they clinched. Sorry. The Braves clinched a playoff spot. Okay. uh, Yeah. Yeah. If they blow this division lead, like, someone's going to write a book about it. Like this is, you know, I've, I've become fond of saying like, if that happens, we'll deal with it when it happens. But right. Yeah. yeah we saw that. We saw the, basically the death knell for the AL central uh, race this weekend when the, uh, uh, when the, when the twins uh, uh, I think took two out of three from the, from the Indians. Um, and so that one is, that one's pretty much off the table. I think by our odds now uh, the twins are at 99.1% for winning the division. So Yeah. Um, it's, uh, and you got basically three teams to make two, um, for the AL wildcard spot, um, you know, which is still, uh, uh, still provides some excitement here. Although where they were separated by, uh, one game top to bottom, they're now at two and a half games, uh, uh, here, uh, as, as, uh, that race has kind of spread out a little bit. Yeah. And that's like, we're getting to a, to a point in the season where t- certainly one game is, is a significant edge. Like I would say, you know, if we're talking about this in June, a two and a half game spread between three teams oh, yeah. is is nothing. You just go by which team is you know which team you think is the most talented. But you know, now that's you know even two and a half games. And I think this is a lot of this is what I'm just thinking back to you know, covering the Phillies when they were uh, falling apart in 2012, and people were saying, "Oh, you know, they're only seven games back, and it's the end of July." And I'm like. That's a lot. Like even at the at yeah. this point in the season, I think we're getting to the point where even a two and a half game uh, lead is just like theoretically, uh, yeah. It's, it, and at some point, it's also you know it's not the distance; it's the traffic too. You know when mm-hmm. you've got exactly four, four other you know the, you know we we kept hearing oh the Mets are only five back in the wild card race. Well, yeah, they had four other teams ahead of them. It's you know it's not as easy. It's not it's 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 not as easily uh, uh, done. And now you've got uh, uh, you know you've got some clear separation. Uh, in in uh, uh, in that race, uh, as we said before, the Mets and the Phillies are both five games out of the second wild card spot. The Diamondbacks five and a half. Um, their odds two point four percent for the Mets. That's the highest of the three of, of those three teams. The other two are below a half a percent. So, um, you know, really, I think we've seen uh, uh, just about all we're going to see out of them. With you know, with um, uh, keeping it interesting for a while, but ultimately not being there at the end. Yeah. So I guess we'll, we'll sort of, uh, come out of this and sort of try to spin it forward. Do you have like a, a series circled, uh, that like, you know, I know you mentioned the, the twins Indian series went a certain way and that sort of, uh, stuck a fork in the AL central races there. What is, what's coming up that what's left here? Um, you know, we've got some Cubs, some Cubs Cardinals games, 
still to play. I believe it's their seven games uh, still to play between those two teams. That's obviously um, that's a, that's a that's a whopping amount. There are no games. There are no games at all left between any of the AL contenders or, or any of the AL bubble teams here. Um, that Indians Twins was the, was the last one. Um, but uh, looking at this table that I've got, uh, Cubs Cardinals seven games. Um, Five between the Phillies and the Nationals, the rare five-game series. That's probably uh, you know as, as as close to a last stand as the Phillies. You got to do the, the little have. big league. That's the you got to sweep. What's, you know, oh yeah, with the I mean, in the nineteen ninety four wild card race, as you remember in the documentary film Little Big League, the the Twins <laughs> had to beat the Mariners four straight to force the one game playoff. And they oh, did. was that was that what? what yeah, I never saw that movie. I was a little oh, you should. That, uh, it's so good. Uh, that was yeah, maybe maybe when my daughter is old enough, we'll 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 hit those uh, uh, those 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 younger baseball movies. Uh, there's there are a lot, you know. I grew up on Bad News Bears, and and uh, uh, but you know, there's a lot of uh, uh, a lot of the uh, ones that you know that came after me. Um, you know that I always felt a little a little sheepish uh, setting aside. Oh, time to watch. It, it it plays for all ages. Yeah, the, I think the sand, the Sandlot is another one. Oh, the sand, yeah, the Sandlot is for for kids. You know, definitely. Yeah. I would feel weird like sitting down to watch it, but Little Big League, like it, it uh, it's sort of like a proto sabermetric movie. But anyway, okay. well, uh, that's a, a segment or yeah, conversation for a different segment. <laughs> okay. Um, getting back to your question, the other the other <laughs> series of of relevance that we've got coming up. Uh, uh, this is the the um, Besides the Cardinals and, and Cubs, uh, uh, with those games, the Cardinals and the Diamondbacks have have three games. And while the Diamondbacks, you know, may not really be in it anymore, um, they have uh, put up an admirable fight uh, and are and are hardly a pushover. Um, you know, especially uh, uh, you know even at this at this time of year. All right. Well, uh, when when can we? I know you're constantly churning out uh content for at fangraphs.com as you've written about the dodgers today uh when is the next uh full update for team entropy i'm trying to figure that out uh i might have one uh on thursday leading into this coming weekend i might wait until monday um uh, i am taking a day off here uh to deal with some preschool stuff um Specifically, whether I'm going back to preschool, no, um, <laughs> uh, which which is th- which is which is putting a wrench in the plans. It may actually even go up on the weekend here, but uh, uh, I am going to, uh, you know, as needed after after that one, um, you know, keep people updated uh, in shorter installments uh, uh, on a near daily basis as, if if it's merited. But uh, right. there'll be one more big one, and then and then we'll be uh, we'll be going day by day uh, uh, towards the end here. And soon we will know. All right. Well, thanks for for taking the time to to come and chat. This is always one of the highlights of the stretch run for me. So I appreciate you uh, uh, dropping by. Absolutely. Happy to do it. When's the last time you refresh your sock drawer? If you can't remember, it's probably time for an upgrade. Bomba socks are made with comfort innovations like arch support, a seamless toe, and a cushioned footbed, which is all sock speak for super comfortable. They come in hundreds of colors and styles, making them perfect for men, women, and kids. Let me tell you about Bombas. The quality is great across a variety of styles and patterns. Arch support is huge for me personally, and there ain't no better arch support than what you get with Bombas. Bombas has a new line of merino wool socks that are made from soft, warm, and naturally moisture-wicking merino wool, designed with all of Bombas' classic comfort features. From keeping cool and dry in your morning run to staying comfortable in your office's freezing air conditioning, Bombas socks are ready to work as hard as you do. And for every pair of socks you buy, Bombas will donate a pair to someone in need. Bombas are what feet daydream about. Buy your Bombas at bombas.com slash MLB today and get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash MLB for 20% off. Bombas.com slash MLB. All right, now it's time for uh, Straight Talk with Ben Lindbergh. Ben, how you doing? Is that the new name of our segment? I don't know. It's <laughs> what I came up with the in the the two seconds between when I took that breath and when I realized I had to start talking again. Um, Good branding. So what do you what do you think? Uh, I like it. We can workshop it, but not bad. Ben Lindbergh, we hear for you. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good reference. All right. Um, has there been any baseball on Succession? I don't feel think like so. That. Not that comes to mind. If you want okay. baseball references, you got to go to Billions. Yeah, that's true. If you no, want they your... play. They play the family baseball game in season one. That's true. Softball. Yeah, it's yeah. barely baseball. They're it Yankees happens. fans, guys. They're Yankees fans. <laughs>
yeah, I, I think that obviously, it, you know, if baseball is not too proletarian, they uh, yeah. seems like a safe bet. They they really seem like America's Cup people, like they'd be into <laughs> yachting, you know. <laughs> yeah, baseball may not be for them. That's a common man's sport. Well, less and less, but I think we've got a ways to go before even the Roys get interested. Mm -hmm. Um, So Roy is the name of the first family of succession. It's also shorthand for Rookie of the Year, which is an award, which is not what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking (laughs) specifically about players who did not win awards. Wow. Tortured, tortured segue. (laughs) I think I should win an award for that segue. (laughs) Tortured segues with Michael Bauman. That's the new name of the segment. I, I think everything about me is tortured right now, um, including the segues. So you had this idea. Why don't you explain it succinctly for yeah. our increasingly tortured audience? So we were thinking about talking about awards races. There are obviously some interesting ones out there, but then we thought there will be time to talk about those things. And those players who are among the best in baseball don't need the ringer MLB bump. So we wanted to focus on some players who could use some publicity. So we're going to draft unsung seasons. I don't know, maybe five each, something like that. Just guys who are not all-stars this year. They aren't leading the league in anything prominent. They aren't going to win major awards. And so they haven't been talked about much by us or, or anyone in general. But yet they have played important roles in pennant races because every contending team has guys like that. They're not the first ones you think of. They're not the guys getting the hardware, but those teams would not be in those positions without them. So we'd give them a little love today. Yeah, I I like this idea. You know, the past couple of years, I've done a column of like the the in the MVP conversation award. You know, like it, it seems like every year there's a guy who everybody knows was like the fourth best player in the league and is nowhere near being often. It's literally Mike Trout out in front um, and like fans of that player's team be like, well, is this player in the conversation? I'm like, <laughs> right. No. Well. <laughs> I guess in the sense that you have to, yeah. you know, he'd be on the ballot, but he wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't for a second think about uh, putting him up top, you know, like, but players like Alex Bregman and JD Martinez last year, um, mm-hmm. I think are good examples of players who had notable seasons, important seasons in the standings um, and you know, noteworthy and interesting and, and revelatory, but maybe don't deserve the top honor because there's only one. So this is yeah. going, I think, a little bit farther down the yeah. The chain because we're mm-hmm. we're accepting uh, only non all stars this season, right? Um, and I'm I'm not saying these guys should win anything. It's they should win your respect. That's yeah, all. They exactly. <laughs> you know, I think that that's a that's underrated. And you know, you don't always need need the hardware, but you know, mm-hmm. we we tip our cap to to these yeah. players for certain. Right. All right. Okay. Should I go first? Yeah. Sure. All right. I'm going to take Mark Canna with my first pick. And you could do a whole draft of unsung A's probably. I mean, Mark Kenna and Matt Olson are essentially the same guy having the same season this year. They played the Should same I number reveal of games. that Matt Olson was on my list? <laughs> yeah, Matt Olson's on uh, my uh, list. Do you want to just okay. <laughs> you can take well, Matt Olson if you want. We can just right, group good, them together. <laughs> you know, you said you said five. I guess I've technically got five players on my list. So yeah, maybe but, we should just do all the unsung A's together. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, you could put Marcus Semyon on that list who has been so. really good and he probably should be in consideration in awards voting. So maybe he's too good for this list if you look at the wars. But Mark Canna is my guy on this list just because he's been there all season long. You know, lots of other guys have gotten hurt. Olsen was hurt to start the season. Loriano got hurt at, at one point. Chris Davis got hurt and hasn't been himself. And so they've been missing guys. Piscotti got hurt, but Mark Canna's been the constant. He's been there the whole time. He is a 30-year-old former Rule 5 draft pick who was traded to the A's for a guy who never made the major leagues. He is the definition of an unsung player, I think, but he's having a career year. And it's not just that he's hit the most homers he's ever hit because who hasn't this year, but he's walking a lot more and he's just been a very valuable player kind of under the radar. So Mark Canna leading off my draft. Yeah, and Olsen is, I'm just going to go here so, so mm-hmm. to avoid like saying the exact same thing in a couple rounds. Um, Olsen is a, uh, he's not like the the biography is not as, as prototypically as, as, as Mark Canna is, but those two have been important in that you look at the, the A's lineup top to bottom and, you know, you look for star power and you got Chapman and like Semyon and Loriano are, are sort of like hipster favorites you know they're not Mm going to be you know they're not going to 
be the guys who are making the all-star team or, or you know being on the the billboard or, or leading off the national promo, but they need to get offense from somewhere. And you know, Olsen and uh and Canna have really been the two of the the guys who've really provided, you know, you mentioned Chris Davis. Like that's where a lot of that secondary power came from for so long. Mm-hmm. And and uh, Olsen and Canna picking up the slack has been a, a huge reason why the A's, A's have uh, stayed in the race. I got uh, a slightly miffed tweet from a, an A's fan that that stood out. He said Matt Olson was one of the best first basemen in baseball. I don't know if I'd go that far, but he's certainly been uh, a pivotal player for for Oakland. In you the know, conversation, I don't know if for sure. Yeah, they. Uh, Jesus, um, <laughs> they. I don't know if if they get here without um, if they get back to the playoffs. With as many things that went well last year going wrong this year, yeah, um, I mean, without we don't know yet whether they will get to the playoffs as it is, I f- but I feel pretty good about them. But I do too. And know. yeah, the fact that they're in this position, it's all because of Mark Canna. Where, and yeah, we're, you know, <laughs> that we're talking about the baseball reference has them at ninety five point seven percent. So if they don't make it, we'll talk about it. But mm-hmm. let's just assume that going forward. Yeah, it's just. The the A's like it should be like the Arubial Durazo endowed chair in anonymous corner <laughs> yeah. guy with power, you right. know? Like mm-hmm. they've got this they've had this guy since the mid nineties. Yes. And it's just like the soul leaping from one person to the next. <laughs> exactly. All right. So you're taking Olsen. Am I going again? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you could go again. All right. I'm going to take Anibal Sanchez. Anibal oh, Sanchez, I mean, he wins this award on a career basis, I think, because he has never made an all-star team. He actually leads all active pitchers in career war without ever making an all-star team. He is second among all players behind Andrelton Simmons. Kind of incredible that he's never made an all-star team, but he's won some awards at least. And Anibal Sanchez is, what, 35 years old right now. And I pretty much wrote him off a couple of years ago because he went through that stretch with Detroit, a three-year stretch, 2015 to 2017. He had a 5.67 ERA during those years. And that was when scoring was not quite as high as it is right now. So that's a 74 ERA plus over more than 400 innings over those years after age 30. And the fact that he has bounced back to be so great with the Braves last year and really good with the Nationals this year, too, I think that has been somewhat unsung because obviously with the Nationals, everyone's focusing on Strasburg and Scherzer and Patrick Corbin, who technically, I guess, was not an all-star either, but everyone has paid attention to him because he was a big offseason signing. And then you have Anna Paul Sanchez just kind of bringing up the rear in that rotation, but doing it really well and just kind of constantly unrecognized for his latter day consistency. He he had good years. He got Cy Young votes in what, 2013 was his big year prior to this. But the fact that he has had this second act is totally unexpected and impressive. It feels like we've written him off like three or four times by now, mm-hmm. and yet he keeps coming back. Yep. Um all right, I want to stay in the Amer- or in the the National League East. I know which league the the Nationals play in. Don't worry, uh, and go for a guy who I think gets a lot of unnecessary crap. And maybe this is I don't know why perception is the way it is of Julio Tehran um, because maybe he's not the and, you know I considered putting Patrick Corbin on this list because like you said he yeah. technically fits the bill, but like he was top five in Cy Young voting. He was the number one free agent for pitchers. So, you know, I, I think he adds a lot to that. Obviously he adds a lot to that rotation. Um, but uh maybe he is a little bit too too much of star power. But you know, you get a, a guy like that, you expect him to be a guy like Corbin, you expect him to be nails not only in pitching quality high volume innings in the regular season, but in the postseason as well. And mm-hmm. you know, Tehran is is He's just been incredibly like reliable over the course of the entire season. Like nothing about him really stands out. I if he gets any Cy Young votes, I'd be shocked. It doesn't seem like like people really trust him to pitch well in the postseason, but like he's thrown he's made 31 starts. He's thrown 167 in the third innings. He has a 350 ERA. If you put if you made him the Phillies number two starter, for instance, mm-hmm. I think they're in a playoff position as opposed to what they've gotten from guys like Nick Pavetta and Jason Vargas. Like this is it's so rare to get just somebody who's solid 
Yeah. And, you know, maybe solid is underselling what Tehran's done this season, but just somebody who's solid and can pitch a bunch of innings. And those guys are getting rarer and rarer. And I think they're becoming, you know, you just look at at how long Dallas Keuchel had to wait for a contract. Mm -hmm. Those I think that is the new underrated player, just somebody who can lock down one of the five rotation spots and you don't have to worry about him all year. And that's been huge, particularly for a team that is as young as the Braves are other elsewhere on their pitching staff that's had Mike Fultonavich's problems, which he seems to be coming out of a little bit. You know, so many of the, the young stars they've expected to step up uh, have not. And Tehran has been there. And, you know, getting there is most of the battle. And you know, we'll see what he does in the postseason, but he's been invaluable to that team. Yeah, that's a good one. He's made 30 or more starts every year since 2013. And the performance has been up and down during some of those years. He has been an all-star a couple times, but he does always take the ball. And there is something to be said for that. Are you on his B-Ref page yes. right now? Mm-hmm. Okay, so you know how old he is. Uh, yeah, I, I would have guessed older, I think, than what, 20? I would have guessed like 34. Yeah, he's, he's 28. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty incredible. That's uh, unbelievable. <laughs> he might, we should have like a stat for greatest disparity between <laughs> players' actual age and how old yes. people think they are, because mm-hmm. he'd be up there. Yeah. That man's been around forever. Okay. All right. I'm going to go with Brett Gardner, who I think is, you know, it's a Yankee. So unsung. Bang, for, bang, 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 <laughs> yes. bang. Yes. So unsung is relative for a Yankee because Yankees get lots of attention. And of course, his dugout freakouts <laughs> have been very celebrated or just caused a lot of confusion generally. But his performance on the field, I think, is very impressive. He is having eh, maybe not quite his best offensive season, but but probably, probably his best full offensive season, at least on a rate basis. He's hit 25 home runs, which, okay, everyone has again, but still. And I think what adds to this is that coming into the year, there was some surprise that the Yankees retained his services. And it seemed like, where are they going to fit Brett Gardner? Because we have Giancarlo Stanton and we have Aaron Judge and we have Aaron Hicks and it goes on and on. Where are you going to play Brett Gardner? And as it turns out, they've really needed Brett Gardner and Stanton has been out and Hicks has been out and everyone has been out. And and you could come up with a, a whole draft of just weird out of nowhere Yankee seasons this year, of course. But Brett Gardner has been doing this for a really long time now. He is 35 years old, 36, actually. He turned 36 last month, and he's been incredibly consistent since he came up. He now has about the same career war as Don Mattingly. He's a one win above replacement behind Don Mattingly. Obviously not the same caliber of player. Mattingly was retired by the time he was Gardner's age and had a a much higher peak. But he's now in the top 20 among Yankees position players all time. And that is really quite a difficult list to crack. And he's been one of the most valuable players in baseball. I think like top 15 or so players in baseball since he came up in 2008, even though he has missed some time here and there. So Brett Gardner, a rare unsung Yankees homegrown success who continues to produce in his mid thirties. Yeah. I steered away from the Yankees entirely. Yeah. I feel like that's fair. You know, I, exactly the way you put it, it's not possible to be unsung and a Yankee. Like, it feels like I've read more about Mike Talkman this year than Mike Trout. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, but yeah, Brett Gardner, his, what a unique career. Yes. Uh, that's, that's what I'll say. Um, so, okay. So, my next pick, I'm taking my next two picks at once, and you will see why once I make them. I am taking a Tampa Bay's right handed, or Tampa Bay Rays right handed pitcher and piggybacking him with a left handed pitcher, Yanni Chirinos and Ryan Yarbrough. Um, you know, I mentioned the like the sort of disparity between, uh, and, you know, right as I make this opener joke, I'm going to undermine it a little bit because the, the Rays rotation. Top to you know maybe like top three. You look at Snell, you look at Morton, you look at Tyler Glass. Now, you, even Brendan McKay, who came up, he hasn't pitched that well on the aggregate, but he's like expected to be uh, a real ten pole starter for them going forward. They actually have a really solid traditional rotation, um, but those guys have been hurt. McKay has been inconsistent. Snell's been hurt. Glass now is is obviously just coming back from injury. So it took two guys moving from that sort of long relief role uh, in Torinos and Yarborough to the rotation. Both of them, you know, Torinos has, has obviously also been hurt for the past five or six weeks or so, but should be back in the next couple of weeks. Um, 
but both of them pitched incredibly well. Chirinos uh, has a 3.62 ERA in 17 and started 17 games. Uh, Yarbrough, here's here's a, a stat line I stumbled across. He has the not only has the second lowest walk rate among pitchers with at least 100 innings. Uh, he had so Yarbrough's line uh, is 21 and a half uh, strike. Er, Strikeout rate of 21.5%, walk rate of 3.3%, 75 FIP minus. Hyunjin Ryu, 22.1 strikeout rate, 3.6 walk rate, 71 FIP minus. Um, And if you're asking why I, after bad-mouthing FIP for the past several years, I'm using it here, don't look at the ERA or DRA because then this comparison (laughs) falls apart. But the point is that that Yarbrough's been really solid, and he was a guy, like, it, like, they People talked about him last year, like the way they talk about Jalen Beeks, like he's be, he was being propped up by the opener. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just really proved itself not to be true this season. And he was a, another player. You talked about how the how the A's acquired Mark Canna. Like the Rays, like Yarbrough was the second or third piece in that in that Drew Smiley trade a couple years ago. Yeah. And uh, he's turned into... I don't know, maybe as good as Drew Smiley ever was. And so I think those two guys, you know, as much as as Olsen and Canna have filled out the rest of the lineup for for Oakland, you know, the Rays are a team in a pretty similar position where they need to find, you know, find quality players pretty much out of nowhere. And they've done that with these two pitchers. Mm-hmm. All right. I guess we can do a, a little lightning round here for our last couple picks. I, are we rambling? Well, we're, yeah, we're, we're running out of time. Yeah. So okay. I, I will take... Colton Wong, who I think has been really integral to the Cardinals' second half success, you could almost package him with Paul DeYoung here, since they're such a, a combo. Well, we can because I picked. <laughs> Are you going to take I, Paul DeYoung? I stated I did. I was going to pick Paul DeYoung, and I didn't. <laughs> okay, I stayed within the Ringer family and took Tommy Edmonds. Uh-huh. So we can do <laughs> we could do this all at once. Good. I'm yeah. glad that we're you know. So like part of the problem with this is like I just wrote off the Yankees and like. The Astros and Dodgers are so loaded top to bottom. There isn't really such a thing as an unsung yeah, hero there. Right. And so, and in the past, like, weekend, the, the field has really shrunk. So, like, mm-hmm. I don't know if there's anybody, you know, you can't really talk about the Mets anymore, for instance, in the playoff race. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so we'll talk about the the infielders of the St. Louis Cardinals, I guess, as a group. Yeah, so the offensive numbers for Wong and DeYoung are not really going to wow you. They're fine. They're holding up their end of the bargain. But the defensive numbers are pretty spectacular. They've done a great job at turning double plays. And if you look at, say, Cardinals pitching, obviously Jack Flaherty's gotten a lot of attention and, and deserved attention. But the staff as a whole during the Cardinals' second half run the ERA has outpaced the FIP, and the peripherals don't look quite as impressive as the run prevention. And maybe there's a little luck in there, but also I think a lot of it is attributable to the defense, and that starts with these guys we're talking about. I mean, the Cardinals up the middle defense is great, whether you're talking about Molina or Wong and DeYoung or Harrison Bader in center field. It's pretty much good all the way. But those two guys, that double play combo, I don't know that there's a, a much better one in baseball if if there is a better one. It's really surprising to see Paul DeYoung turn into a good defensive shortstop. Because, uh-huh. um, like, this is not the this is not the the prospect that he was. Like, there was sort of, like, a hope that he'd be able to stay on the dirt. That, like, maybe... Because he, like, he didn't play that much shortstop in college, if I remember correctly. He was, like, mostly catcher third base. And so, like, the the fact that he's... You know, maybe this this just speaks to a larger shift in... And Zach wrote about this this spring, that we're getting more okay in terms of positioning that uh, you get a big guy with a good arm. And if he's smart and you position him correctly and he's got good hands, then you can make up for a lack of foot speed, like the sort of the, the Troy Tulowitzki archetype. Cause like, I didn't think Carlos Correa would still be a shortstop at this point in his career. I didn't think Corey Seager would be, you know, certainly not Paul DeYoung mm-hmm. and to have him turn into like a good, not only shortstop, you know, starting shortstop, but a good sh- starting shortstop mm-hmm. um, or a good defensive shortstop is, is surprising. Even as somebody who liked Paul DeYoung, you know, I was on one of the very first Paul DeYoung boosters yeah. and, uh, you know, I did not see this coming. No. And then the last one I wanted to mention, it, it's kind of another tandem thing, AL Central catching contenders. 
I wanted to mention first Mitch Garver. I mean, there are a few twins who oh, yeah. technically were not all-stars this year. Like Kepler was not an all-star. Nelson Cruz, surprisingly, was not an all-star, but isn't really unsung either. But Garver to kind of come out of nowhere at 28 and have a peak Piazza offensive season. Essentially, that's what he's done. That has been, I think, probably the most surprising season that the Twins have had and has obviously played a a pivotal role for them. And then just staying within the division with Cleveland, I think you have to mention what Roberto Perez has done because the Indians traded Jan Gomes over the offseason coming off an all-star season. And I sort of raised an eyebrow at that because it didn't seem like they were left with a lot. And yet Roberto Perez, who entered the season with 21 career homers, he has hit 23 this season alone with his usual good defense and framing. So he's been very valuable and, and certainly unsung. So both of those guys, I think, deserve our tips of the cap. And we obviously have no respect for anybody else in the, I know. In the league. Yeah. So if we omitted your favorite player, then screw you. Apologies but, to yeah, these anyone are the only... who is so unsung that they couldn't get drafted in an unsung player's right. draft. <laughs> but we couldn't mention oh, everyone. Boy. I didn't mean to. Yeah, I guess that really does like make a, a, a you know, damning with faint praise or like yeah. damning with, with faint omission. Mm-hmm. I don't know. All right. So uh, we'll be back next week with more baseball chatter but until then uh this was fun so i i, I did like illustrative of uh i guess how similarly we think about the game because we picked you know yeah. sometime you know essentially the same guy a couple times <laughs> mark Hanna, just on both of our minds <laughs> yeah. all right good talking to you all right talk to you later That'll do it for this week's edition of the Ringer MLB Show. Thanks, as always, to Ben and Zach for joining me. Thanks also to Jay Jaffe. Uh, you can find his work at Fangraphs and his takes on Twitter at Jay Jaffe. Thanks to Bobby Wagner for producing today's show. And if you see him, please express your condolences about not only the Mets, but his fantasy team. Uh, thanks also to Mike Trout, Mark Canna, and Ryan Yarbrough for giving us stuff to talk about. And thank you for listening. Enjoy the week's action, and we'll see you next time. Today's episode is brought to you by Floor & Decor. Floor & Decor is where the pros go for tile, wood, stone, and installation materials. But the best part about Floor & Decor is their pro services and loyalty reward program. From the dedicated pro hotline to the exclusive pro app, your Floor & Decor team is just a touch away. Visit floorandecor.com today to find the location nearest you. 